Welcome to What's Right with Sam and Ash here on News Talk 840 KXNT. You have found us. We are your live and local show here in Las Vegas every weekday from 2 to 3 p.m. While Sam's out of town, I've had um, his understudy stepping up to the plate or the microphone, we should say, since Robbie's not an athlete or a sports guy. Uh, Robbie, thanks for joining me again. I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm a little bit insulted. I'm not an athlete. Well, I mean, you are athletic, but you're not like a former college athlete. You didn't play like, <laughs> did you play organized sports? I did in high school. I played water polo, actually, and, and oh, did that's swimming. Intense. Okay. Yeah. Well, so you are an athlete, but you're not a sports guy. You don't like no. talking sports. Okay. No, and I'm much more individual sports. So swimming, skiing, things like that. Does not play well with others. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so big day today in our country. Did you, Are you tracking the news? Sure am. All right. What's big? What did you see? Uh, so we got Katanji Jackson. I think I think the vote shaped up how most people were expecting. Um, I, I think there was an expectation that there would at least be a couple Republicans that voted to confirm her. And we had three, from what I understand, uh, Mitt Romney. Um, we had, sorry, I don't have it in front of me right now, Murkowski and, and Susan Collins. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they sw- stepped over the aisle to join the Democratic senators who voted in favor of Katanji Brown Jackson, making her the first black woman on our Supreme Court of the United States. I guess I can call her a woman, even though she didn't define it during the hearings. But uh, right. but regardless, she this is historic for our country. I'm excited to see what she it's, does. It's funny how many people I've I've seen say the first black Supreme Court justice when, uh, you know, not only was there did Clarence Thomas isn't in the, even at the first, but he is still on the court. Yeah, I know. There, I know. There's one sitting right there. I know. Just look, um, at the, look at the photos, guys. We we it's a woman. That's I hard. I guess I don't know if he doesn't count. Clarence Thomas doesn't count because he was appointed by a Republican. I I I'm assuming kind of that's why he gets overlooked. And it really is a funny a funny thing that seems to happen is when you have anything historic with Republicans, it gets really you know quickly overlooked and and nobody says anything. But it's historic if a Democrat does it. Yeah. I, I remember noticing this with Bush because I think he had the first uh, Latino attorney general um, and then, you know, his appointment of Condoleezza Rice. But all these things, when it's a when it's a Republican, it's just kind of, uh, you know, we don't we don't care. But it's historic if it's done by a Democrat. Well, do you think that has anything to do with the fact that, you know, Bush appointed, I don't know, we'll use the Condoleezza Rice example based on full merit. He didn't corner it and go, well, I need to pick a, a minority female for this role. And so it was a total merit based appointment. And so that's why it's not a big deal or we don't make a big fuss about it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably true. And I think that's how, you know, especially somebody like Condoleezza Rice deserved to be viewed because she you know, I, I have a lot of disagreements with her foreign policy, but to uh, to paint her as anything other than incredibly competent, maybe one of the most competent uh, people we've had in that position, I, you know, top top three in my lifetime, at least, I would say. And I, I think you do a real disservice when you say something like, I'm going to appoint a black woman to be the 
vice president or I'm going to as my running mate or as a Supreme Court justice. Maybe you think that's a really good thing to do, then just do it. Yeah. Say, I'm going to appoint the most competent person and then do it uh, so that you don't, you know, you're, you're slapping a label on this person that they're a diversity hire when I, I think in the case, especially of Katanji Jackson, she doesn't, she doesn't deserve that. Uh, she, she seems very competent, even if you have disagreements with uh, decisions that she's made, uh, there, there's nothing short of competence there. Yeah, and that's one of the things, I mean, Kamala Harris, she said after this, she goes, it's an extraordinary day, and I think it's a very important statement today about who we are as a nation, that we put Judge Katanji Brown Jackson on the highest court of our land. Uh, I, You know, I kind of discredits all of Katanji Brown Jackson's efforts in, in this whole process. I mean, she's done a lot of work to get here and to make herself eligible for the position. So I thought that quote was kind of interesting. But look, the takeaway here is she is now the first black female appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States. It does not change the balance of ideologies on the court. Since she's going to take the place of Justice Stephen Breyer when he retires, it's it's really just a liberal for a liberal. So there's no ideological, ide- yep, no ideological, and like yeah. we said in a previous episode too, we're even just exchanging a liberal Harvard justice for a liberal Harvard justice. So somebody that you know went to the same school, probably you know had had a lot of was inculcated with a lot of the same views. So it is, uh, it, it's really, yeah, not going to change the makeup of the court much, I don't think, except maybe uh, in a very good way of skepticism toward the government, because almost all the Supreme Court justices worked exclusively on behalf of the government in, in most cases, and she's actually... I think the only one who had a job working against the government, uh, you know, even as a public defender, even though you're paid by the government, you are you are fighting prosecutors. Yeah. yeah, you're fighting the establishment. And I, I think that's a really valuable uh, change. So I I would make that trade uh, any day of the week. Yeah, I think she's going to bring an interesting perspective. So I'm all for it. Look, I, this was less... I guess, earth-shattering than when we were surprised when Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away during Trump's uh, presidency because then he was able to get uh, Amy Coney Barrett appointed to the court, and that was a change in the balance. That was a liberal for a conservative. It sure was, and you know, interesting bringing up uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg because I, I think there's something very, very interesting there. When uh, you had Clarence Thomas was nominated in in 91 and you had you know a a big political spectacle was made of it and you had 46 out of 57 democrats vote against him so 81 percent of democrats voted against clarence thomas now when you got to ruth bader ginsburg the republicans i think kind of offered an an olive branch because she was very ideological um, she's very much a liberal justice. It's not like she was uh, a Merrick Garland or or somebody who is a little bit centrist and the Democrats are trying to get it passed a Republican uh, Senate confirmation. She was ideological, and yet Republicans, only three out of 44 voted against Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 7%. 
and that's in 93, just two years after Clarence Thomas. And, and I think that was an olive branch to try to say, you know what, like the, the makeup of the court, this isn't something we should politicize as much as it was with Thomas and before that with Robert Bork. Uh, and I, I think that was a good move and the right move on the part of Republicans, but it has just become more and more political since then. Uh, to the point where, you know, you said when we started this, you had three Republicans who crossed the aisle to vote in yeah. favor of Justice Jackson. And it didn't used to be that way. And I I think that the blame for ratcheting this up can really be laid at the feet of Democrats. You know me, I'm not a, I'm not a partisan. Yeah, but why are you blaming Dems? Uh, because if you look over the last 30 years, and I, I crunched these numbers in in kind of anticipation of this vote, if you look over the years since 1990, um, Democrats on average have voted 76% against GOP nominees. Wow. And yeah, and since 1990, GO, the, the GOP has voted 48% against Democrats. So a lot lower there, and now it's 57 because it's 57% instead of 48 because this was obviously a very... Uh, one-sided vote. 94% of Republicans voted against her. Uh, but what you see when you look at the numbers, uh, and I wish I could show the listeners you know, just a graph, is you see this ramping up since Clarence Thomas, basically, where you know Republicans didn't get on board with that ramping up, and you had still Democrats are just voting in overwhelming numbers against basically any Republican nominee. Uh, and that is often, I think, characterized, mischaracterized as uh, the Republicans make these confirmation hearings so political and that, you know, the Democrats are, are worried about uh, things more important like competence um, or, you know, whether the justice is a criminal, maybe. But I, I just think it's been mischaracterized through the media and, and kind of in popular imagination that Republicans are obstructionists with Democrat judges and Democrats play it fair. And, and that just is absolutely the opposite of, of the historical record. That's fascinating. I didn't know those numbers. But yeah, as we've seen the last three justices go through this pro uh, confirmation process, through the hearings, the questioning, all of that, you notice the partisanship when they have to go through it. I mean, remember... Brett Kavanaugh's hearing, that was brutal. Going through his college drinking habits, that was that was frustrating to watch. But um, ultimately, I think one funny thing I've seen is we now have another acronym kind of on the court. I've seen people refer to her as KBJ. So maybe that's a little nod to the RBG. So I'm all, I'm all for it, Robbie. I'm all for it. This is a good day. Yeah, and I think for any anybody who likes freedom, who... Uh you know, is is worried about the Supreme Court. It, this is a fantastic trade. So um, I mean, cause, I, I think that's that's the way we need to be looking at this. Yeah, because here's my fear. If for whatever reason, Biden didn't get her appointed or get someone appointed in um, Stephen Breyer's place in time through this process, like if he just kept trying and trying and, and it was obstructed for whatever reason, uh, then you're now resurrecting the concerns of are they going to pack the court if they don't end up with a judge that they want on on the bench. And so I think this is a, a good feather in the 
the liberals, the Democrats cap to kind of ease any discussions about court packing and adding seats and things like that? Because I don't think that's the solution. Yeah, and it's a good reminder that not everything needs to be a zero-sum game. It doesn't have to be Democrats win, Republicans lose. I, I think this is a win, actually, for both sides, as rare as that is. Yeah, I agree. Well, Robbie, we've got to take a quick break. And oh, quick fun fact, Nevada senators, of course, both of them, Cortez Masto and Jackie Rosen, both voted in favor of Ketanji Brown-Jackson's uh, appointment. So Nevada was there and participated, and uh, we will be back when we come back from a break. Salmon Ash Injury Law has been named the official injury attorneys of the Henderson Silver Knights. Salmon Ash Injury Law, they care, they help, you win. 702-820-1234 or SalmonAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right. Welcome back to What's Right with Salmon Ash. Here with me today, Robbie Hagland, our resident uh, intel, former military intel analyst, um, all things anti-politics, like parties, because your Twitter handle is at anti-party party. Yeah, definitely against uh, parties, especially this this kind of two major party system we have. But I wouldn't say against politics, or at least I'm very interested by politics. Got it. Hey, Robbie, we were talking about uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson being appointed to Supreme Court of the United States earlier in the show. Uh, I don't know if you were listening or watching to the vote, but uh, someone, I think it was Schumer, at the end was talking to uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, and he referred to her as Madam President. Did you hear that? I uh, I didn't, but I'm not surprised. I know it's almost it was Freudian slip. I don't know, um, but it's all and what Obama just recently made fun and was poking fun at Biden when he showed up at the White House. He he called uh, Biden Vice President Joe Biden. Yeah, and actually, you know, this kind of segues into something that that's really been interesting me for the past month or so. And that's just kind of thinking in terms of of putting on my Democrat strategist hat. Ooh. Um, What does that look like? (laughs) (laughs) It's like a little hat with a propeller on top. Um, Gosh, I mean, right now it it probably looks like, you know, a helmet riddled with political bullet holes because (laughs) it is they are not having a good time and i think what you see right now is a brand that's really in danger and from a from a marketing standpoint you have to look at this and you have to say you know is this more than biden now is this you know with these midterms coming up are we looking at a, a dnc brand uh, really being associated with this toxic influence of Biden. And I think he's intentionally being marginalized. And whether that, you know, comment by Schumer or whether, uh, you know, all the things that happened when Obama visited the White House are intentional, I think it is part of this recognition. Uh, because I, I tell you what I would do. You know, first order of business is... You want to stop the bleeding as much as possible. You yep. know the GOP is going to take a bunch of seats in the midterms, but you want to limit that to whatever extent you can. And I think what that means is is divorcing yourself a little bit from the president who is the face of all of these policies that every sane person recognizes are failing. You know, we look around and we see the gas prices, we see the inflation, we saw, you know, the uh, the botched withdrawal uh, from Afghanistan, we see what's happening in Ukraine and uh, and the failures of diplomacy there. 
and it is just a failure after failure after failure. And, you know, they keep trying to, uh, the harder they try to paint these things as victories, the, the more, uh, dishonest and desperate they look. And so you have the DNC and you have the, uh, corporate press, but I repeat myself. Um, and they're both, they've both been really running cover for Biden. And at some point people are going to look at CNN and MSNBC and they're going to say, I need better lies. Yeah. Like, I, I I know that you lie to me. I know that you're a propaganda station, but you're my propaganda station. I am generally on your side, but I, I just need something that I can tell myself and actually believe. And they're so far out from the truth that that nobody can do that. And so I think this, this big problem that they're going to run into is, does this taint the entire DNC brand and the CNN brand and the MSNBC brand? Or... Is this something that can be limited to Biden? So I think you're gonna you're gonna start to see more and more people marginalizing Biden. Uh, I think Obama returning to the White House was oh. was a big effort there, but not in the way people have been saying. Um, what I do think, you mean? I think the reason that they wanted to put Obama in the spotlight is to remind people, give them the warm fuzzies of this is the Democratic Party that you remember and love. Yes. And it's still here underneath this underneath this little mess of Biden and, you know, Harris, who isn't much better and Pelosi, who isn't much better. They're not going to salvage the brand by putting them giving them more screen time. And so, you know, they've kind of, you know, called up from from called out of retirement Obama to really like not do anything policy wise, but to just kind of give some of those warm fuzzies uh, and, and and to reassociate the Democrat brand with Obi with with Obama and and remove it from Biden a little bit. Yeah, I completely agree. It's no um, mystery. Obama has not been back to the White House since apparently January 20th, 2017, when Donald Trump showed up. And so for him to suddenly choose to reappear now for, I mean, it was the 12th anniversary of the launch of Affordable Care Act. For him to show up now, it was, to me, it was just exactly what you said. It was to remind people of what the Democratic Party used to be. And uh, in in light of the approval ratings, Biden's sitting at like low 40s right now. And so they're trying to get rid of Biden as the face of the Democratic Party and remind everyone of the yesteryears. The, yeah. The so glory days. And so what else would you do if you're trying to resurrect that brand? I think marginalizing him and regaining credibility in the media, that means allowing a lot of this Hunter Biden stuff to come out. Uh, you can't. You can't hide it forever. So when do you let it come out? I think you let it come out now, uh, where we're still far away enough from the midterms. You use it to as, as an excuse to marginalize Biden, because what you want to be able to say is it's not Democrat policies that are wrong. It's his implementation of them. And it's just he's a bad president and he shouldn't be there. And you you attach all of that to the persona of Biden and not to the policies that he's enacting. Uh, so that's what I would be doing with them. I would also be slow rolling the January 6th congressional investigation. Yep. Um, because what you want is you want that report to drop in the fall so that right before the midterms, now all of your spokespeople at the cable news networks, yeah. now they have an excuse to talk about it. And it doesn't seem like they're just grasping at straws. It's like, oh, no, there is news attached to January 6th. So now we can remind everybody 
of January 6th, have that in the forefront, Hunter Biden behind us, and uh, and a party that's divorced from Joe Biden. Yeah, I you're absolutely right, Robbie. One thing, did you see the video of Biden getting basically ignored by everyone there at the event? Everyone was focused on Obama. Obama even ignored him. Did you see it? I did. Oh I did. Oh, my gosh. And I maybe it's intentional, but I think a lot of that, too, is Biden just doesn't project any ounce of charisma and and or or gravity and so he's just he's ignorable he makes himself ignorable it's not just that people are ignoring him i know i agree well when we come back i want to talk about some more fun stuff happening here in vegas it's what's right with sam and ash on news talk 840 kxnt Comfortable and confident is how Sam and Ash Injury Law clients feel after the very first call. Comfortable knowing they have decades of personal injury experience. Confident there's reputation and trust to resolve cases and to do what's right. Sam and Ash Injury Law offers platinum legal service to anyone who contacts them. Quality matters. Integrity matters. Who you hire to protect and represent you matters. If you've been hurt in an accident, choose Sam and Ash Injury Law. 702-820-1234 or salmonashlaw.com because you deserve what's right. Welcome back to What's Right with Sam and Ash here on News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've missed any portion of today's show, go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and search What's Right with Sam and Ash and you will catch today's show or any others. And be sure to click follow or subscribe so you can get any future shows automatically downloaded. Uh, Robbie, we were talking about Biden kind of being put on an island right now by the Democrats in light of the Hunter Biden scandal and his failures as a leader and then preparing for the midterm elections that are coming up. One thing I I read was uh, Jen Psaki is refusing to explain why Joe Biden wrote college recommendation letters for a Chinese businessman's son. Have you heard this story? Uh, I saw the headlines, but that's it. Okay. Well, apparently... Uh, Joe Biden in 2017, so maybe the tail end of his vice presidency, wrote a letter uh, for the this businessman's son and daughter to attend Brown and Georgetown. This is the only part of the story that I really care about and want to tell, is that apparently neither one of them got in. <laughs> so just take that for a grain of salt. I mean... Wow. The vice president, former vice president, whenever the letters were written, or if he was still just a U.S. congressman or a senator at the time, he writes these letters and they don't get in. Sad. Sad. I mean, if he gets if he gets hit with any of these, you know, pay to play accusations, I guess that's probably his best defense, because there's been so much of it with Ukrainian gas companies, with, you know, all of these little you know mini scandals where he is he's basically an incompetent version version of the uh of the clintons <laughs> he's just kind of you know he's he's like if mr magoo ran the uh clinton foundation <laughs> it's like um, a cheap knockoff of the clintons it's like yeah he, yeah somebody ordered a clinton foundation off of wish <laughs> um <laughs> so i i think i don't know if that's maybe his best defense is that these you know these people had to know that I don't have any real influence. Um, yeah, I, it's just ridiculous. It is. It is. Uh, but it is funny, you know, as this stuff trickles out back to, uh, you know, the the Democrat uh, strategist hat, as these things trickle out, I think the dangerous thing they would have is if there's obvious reason that he needs to be impeached. Because uh, I, unless they just want to have a rebuilding 
year and not win the presidency, uh, the next presidential election. You do want, I think, Joe Biden to continue until the end, because I think you could conceivably have somebody run against Harris for the nomination in that case. Oh, that's interesting. If, if he decides not to run, you know, which he probably won't, he'll do one term. But if he's out before the term's over, it's going to be really awkward for them to try to have anybody else other than Harris as the nominee. Oh, yeah, I think, I mean, based on, I think it was Schumer during the confirmation of Ketanji Brown-Jackson, I think uh, they're already dubbing Kamala Harris the president. Oh, well, then they need to hire me or, or you know, any of the millions of people who would serve as better strategists for than, than whoever it is they're listening to. It'll be interesting to see what they do, because they do have a, truly a lame duck just sitting there in the presidency right now and what they're going to do in the next election cycle. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to re-excite, reignite the Democrat base and have a Democratic Party that is that hasn't shifted so hard from workers to Wall Street, which is what they've done, they mm -hmm. still they still benefit a little bit of this. We're the pro worker, uh, pro little guy political brand, even though they haven't been for a long, long time. I mean, like in the 80s, I think it was nine out of 10 CEOs were Republican. And now it's completely reversed where it's either nine out of 10. And I'm talking about of the uh, top, top 10 Forbes CEOs. I think now it's either nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 are Democrats. Um, it is, it's totally crazy uh, how much that's flipped and how much people have not noticed. But what they would do really well doing to, to gin up some excitement is get, you know, a Tulsi Gabbard or an Andrew Yang or somebody who is young and who connects with issues that working people care about so they can retake that brand. Because uh, cause as they're going with just putting these corrupt, you know, thieving kleptocrats in over <laughs> and over and over again, uh, you know, and, and not only that, but they're all... You know, they're kleptocrats who are like 70 plus years old. Uh, and I, I just don't think that's going to uh, do them any favors in the next election. Unless, like I said, they've just resigned themselves to losing this one and are going to have a, a rebuilding season. I don't think they're going to concede. I just don't. I don't anticipate that. I would be I would be very shocked. But ultimately, I hope no one from the DNC is listening because you've given them a lot of great ideas, Robbie. Uh, <laughs> on how to gain favor on their base. But, um, hey, some local news. There was a, a big bust of two men nabbed with enough fentanyl to kill 4.7 million people. Doesn't that headline sound like they probably found a cement truck's worth of fentanyl? Yeah, it does, unless people have seen this image that, that's been going around of a penny compared to a lethal dose of fentanyl, and it... It really looks like, you know, when you get uh, like a funnel cake and they, they do the powdered sugar on top of it and they yeah. like shake it and tap it a bunch of times. I yeah. mean, it looks like half of a tap of it, it's just like the tiniest bit. I don't even know. You know, obviously it's it's just a microgram or two. Um, it is so small. That's a lethal dose. And the the total amount here that could kill 4.6 million people is like 20 pounds. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I'm looking at the image that you're referencing. It's so small of an amount, it doesn't even, it wouldn't even cover Lincoln's head. 
maybe the date stamped on the penny. Maybe. Yeah, you could maybe, yeah, you could maybe give him a touch of gray hair with it. Yeah, beard, gray beard. <laughs> yeah, no, it's insane. So this uh, this uh, drug bust happened in Southern California. You're based in L.A., so close to home. Also, L.A. is just a drive on the 15 to here, to Vegas. And the reason this is actually frightening to know is in Nevada, we had uh, 174 fentanyl overdose deaths last year by August alone. That's uh, It was a number that I think is like sixfold to what we were at in like 2010. And then since 2018... We've had approximately 400 Clark County residents die from fentanyl overdoses. It's tragic. And it- it's Yeah, it's tragic and it doesn't surprise me at all. And I know we've talked before about how I consume a lot of really weird stuff, uh, not fentanyl, but media, <laughs> media wise, you know, I listen to trucker podcasts and I also listen to a decent amount of, of homeless interviews. I think they're fascinating when you get just these like on the street reporters that go out and they go into homeless encampments and they talk to people. And one thing that very clearly comes out of these, first of all, it's always surprising how brutally honest these people are about the crimes they're committing, about the things they're, they are just an open book, uh, generally speaking. And one thing that blew me away was somebody talking about how they really wish they could get heroin, but they can't get heroin anymore. Everything's fentanyl. And And that leads you to ask kind of why, but it really, it makes sense, right? Because, you know, when you look at incentives, uh, when we have a drug war, what are we incentivized by? And maybe I'll even back up and I'll say, we used to drink a whole lot of really low alcohol beer. And then prohibition happened. And the incentive that that sets up is you are not going to take tankers of really low ABV beer to these different bars and try to to get away with it. Uh, instead, you're going to have more and more concentrated versions of alcohol. So it's easier to smuggle, easier to transport, uh, and easier to make in a lot of cases. And that's what the incentives all lead to. And so we've had the same thing with the drug war where we have basically been selecting for potency. It's sort of the same thing people worry about with, with uh, antibiotics, that they're going to lead to these superbugs that that avoid antibiotics. And with our drug war, we're incentivizing, we're selecting for drugs that are easier to smuggle, that are easier to make, that are much smaller and much more potent. And so we end up with this easy to create, easy to smuggle. You only need a microgram uh, to, to get high kind of drugs like fentanyl. And it, it really is... It's a it's a condemnation of the drug war and of of things that might seem good in the short term. You know, drugs are bad. We don't like drugs. It'd be better if people didn't do them. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can have that attitude. Uh, but you can also recognize that, hey, if we make this illegal, that might that might create a whole lot of uh, incentives for things to get worse. Yeah, it, it is one of those economic issues of if we how do we if we legalize it does it change anything and I don't know but I've seen those interviews you're talking about of homeless people and how open they are about their issues and their struggles and the crimes they commit to get the next fix it's really tragic and uh, the big advice here is don't do drugs right now it's very dangerous out there it's really sad to see what's happening we heard the story of the, what was it, Spring Breakers down in Florida, and people were overdosing by trying to resuscitate 
their friends doing mouth to mouth resuscitation. They wow. had, over- so that's how potent it is. So be safe out there, kids. Don't do drugs. We will be back right after this. It's What's Right with Sam and Ash here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Welcome back. It's What's Right with Sam and Ash. It is our final segment here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Today, because we had breaking news really with the Kentonji Brown Jackson appointment and confirmation to the Supreme Court, we are going to have to flip flop our segment. So now we will do a rundown of some basic stories of local stuff, interesting stuff. First up, something that's important to all people in Vegas and even Southern California, because you guys all love to talk about traffic, right, Robbie? Love it. I know. So here in Vegas, we're getting ready for the NFL draft. That's taking place April 28th to the 30th, and it was just approved to have the strip fully closed in front of the Bellagio and Flamingo Road between the uh, the strip and Koval will be completely closed during that weekend. And as Las Vegans, we should expect lane closures to occur starting the 13th and going all the way until May 6th for getting ready for this event and ending it and breaking it down. So, oof, that's going to hurt. So avoid the strip at all costs uh, during these times. But, hey, one thing to keep in mind, the dr- the NFL draft is apparently free. So if you're in town and you want something to do and you're curious about how these things work, I think this is probably going to be one of the cooler ones to attend, don't you? Yeah, I think it will. And I also want to congratulate you on that great segue uh, from trafficking to traffic. Oh, the drug trafficking. Yeah, we were talking about yeah, in the last segment. Straight from trafficking to traffic. I mean, that's a pro-level segue. I know. Gosh, I should have a, a, a trophy right now for that. Thank you for acknowledging <laughs> me. And of my course. Gra- <laughs> I need that. Of course. Uh, any- but yeah, the draft does look fun this year, even for me, a non-sports fan. I know. Uh, we it clarified. Just, You're an athlete, yeah. just not a sports fan. Exactly. I yeah. like doing, not watching. <laughs> that's fair. Um, but also... Robbie, are you a Coachella guy? Do you festival out? Do you do any of that stuff? Not at all. I I actually, I really enjoy a small venue concert, but these mega venues, um, it's just, it's not my thing. It's too much all at once. I like, you know, little little bites of that kind of entertainment. And that was pre-COVID. You're not like f- afraid of crowds because of COVID. Correct. Right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, not at all. And And Coachella, you know, you're in the you're in the burning heat, you're outdoors. Uh, if I was worried about COVID, uh, much higher chance of catching it in one of those small, low-ceiling venues with a bunch of people than, than you would be at Coachella. Yeah, so I'm not a festival person either. The only thing I like about them is that they come to Vegas and they provide a giant boost for our economy. And we get to show off our town to a lot of people that otherwise don't see it. So that's my only thing I like about festivals. I've never been to Coachella. I think I want to die without ever going to Coachella. But apparently Kanye West is also not going to Coachella this year, even though he was supposed to headline it. So he's leaving 8 milli on the table to not go. And I don't know. Does anyone get surprised when Kanye ducks out of things anymore? I don't think so. And I kind of, I don't know if other people respect it the same way I do, but I, you know, what's the point of having all of that money and having risen to that status if you're just not going to be able to do what you want to do? And I think he is really good at just being like, I don't want to do this. And I and I can. I've I've set myself up to not do things that I don't want to do. 
Sure, I agree entirely. That's one of the luxuries that he does. He has with his success and the the money he's already accumulated in his life. But my frustration is don't ever commit in the first place. If there's a slight chance that you're not going to want to do it, don't commit. Just say no. If I do anything, I'll show up and, you know, and surprise everyone, but I don't want to I don't want to commit to this. So that's my frustration with him. Yeah, and I think, you know, he might lose, maybe he loses fans over it. Maybe he loses uh, an ability to actually book things without, you know, huge penalties. But I think if he's willing to pay that price, you know, there's a market price and there's going to be a a price for him both with his fans and uh, with the, you know, people that he's contracting with. And I think if he's willing to pay that price, then... Go do it. Yeah. All right. Next up, Will Smith. Apparently, we've learned that the LAPD cops didn't see the slap. I am. This story is kind of Wayne. I'm not. I'm getting less and less interested in Will Smith and this story. But one thing I read, LAPD apparently only had two officers there at the event that were capable of even arresting him. Um, One was apparently inside the auditorium, but was backstage. So he didn't see it. And. I don't know. Apparently, under California law, if it's a misdemeanor, a cop can't arrest you unless they see it. You commit the crime. So the one cop that was there couldn't arrest him. Uh, I mean, maybe that makes sense, but I'm sure there were other options on the table. Like uh, it, they could have probably ejected him, right? If oh, he's yeah. If he is no longer welcome there and, you know, the people in charge of the event have said this person needs to be removed— then it's a trespass, and yeah. Yeah. Um, so, of course, they could have done other things, but here's another funny thing. A private person in California could have tried to do a citizen arrest of him at the event, but I was shocked to hear that apparently a flood of angry people either called LAPD or went. They actually went down to one of the divisions and asked them to arrest Will Smith for battery. Can you imagine the luxury you must have to just, you know, be a regular old citizen who watched it on TV and then you either pick up the phone and call LAPD and think you have, you know, your voice is going to make a difference or two, go down to the station. That's saying a lot in L.A., traveling on a street. Yeah. And there's a there's so much here that the cops just watch happen that that that's that's pretty incredible i mean they're they're asked all the time to arrest people i'm sure especially with the homeless problem here we had a quarter mile from my house a big encampment fire uh right up next to a senior uh, a senior assisted living home where they were going to have to evacuate everybody and the sprinklers went off i mean you know, L.A. has got problems, uh, so I'm kind of actually okay with them having that light of a presence at the Academy Awards because, you know, they've got other stuff to do. Yeah, I, you know what, I agree. I think they do have other things to do, but still, I'm shocked that, and I guess I don't know the extent of private security the Academy exactly. had because that is a large gathering of people, but also based on the fact that not one person approached Will Smith and tried to remove him after it indicates that whatever private security they had, the n- rule number one was maintain decorum. And so don't interrupt the show kind of seemed to run the agenda. But 
it is what it is. I thought it was interesting that people actually went down to LAPD offices to complain and try and get Will Smith arrested. Wow. Um, all right. It's that time of the show, Robbie. I'm going to put you on the Sammy spot. Uh, what are your thoughts on this news that Joe Biden is handing immigrants cell phones, illegal immigrants that are crossing the border? He's trying to give them cell phones. So I haven't really looked into this, but my first question would be, what's the purpose? Is this because you want them to uh, show up for their court dates and need a way to contact them? <laughs> uh, and and if so, what kind of plan is attached to that phone? Uh, are they just able to receive calls? Or, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions I have here. Um, but the- obviously, the optics are really, really bad. And what I wish there would be a movement for is instead of... Uh, build the wall, which I'm fine with building the wall and, you know, is a, is a good chant. I do want a lot more immigration, but I think the really, the wall that we need is a wall around, uh, around welfare. And that would, that would really allow us to let a lot more immigrants in, which, you know, that's kind of my, my priority. And I think things like this really harm the image of immigrants as people who are just coming here for free stuff. And I don't think there was no you know, there was no immigrant lobby that said we need phones from Biden. Uh, but a lot like he, you know, steps in it in other ways. And, you know, he he can't he wants the credit. He wants to be the nice guy. He wants to be the person appointing a black female justice, not just, you know, letting them have the credit they deserve. I think in the same way, he's making it harder for illegal immigrants in order to paint himself as the nice guy. Yeah, I, I don't like it at all, but I think you're on to something. And I think Sam would agree with your take on this. And so, Robbie, another show in the books. It's been a lot of fun. Always fun having you. If you've missed any portion, go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's What's Right with Sam and Ash here on News Talk 840 KXNT.